Welcome to Downsizing Your Home and Life radio show, where it's all about finding ways to a clear path to stress-free downsizing in order for you to live your best life. Each week, we will discuss where to begin, how to select where to live, the best methods to sort and monetize your stuff, as well as the proper steps to valuing and listing your home in order for you to fast forward and start living your new life. Now, here is your host, Ann Nori, the downsizing coach, an experienced award-winning realtor, auctioneer, and personal property appraiser, bringing you much-needed information to help you navigate the steps of becoming financially whole as you successfully downsize your home and life. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Downsizing Your Home and Life radio show. This morning, I'm so honored to have Terry Blanchett join us this morning from Time Sorters. Welcome, Terry. Thanks. I'm happy to be here. Let, I want to introduce our listeners to exactly what you do because it's so incredibly interesting. Terry is a historian and heritage preservation specialist with Time Sorters serving Virginia, Washington, D.C., and Maryland area. She provides talks and workshops on her craft, and her articles have appeared in local and national history and collection organization publications. Her unique company is Time Sorters. They can be found online at timesorters.com, helps individuals and businesses organize and preserve things and capture their unique histories that goes back with time. Such a pleasure to have you here. This is such an incredibly interesting topic. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, I'm happy to be able to share it with you. Absolutely. You know, it all comes down to all of our listeners are at a different phase in life and they're downsizing for different reasons. And so many individuals, especially in our corridor, have so many important, you know, historical, you know, artifacts, family historical data, photographs, documents, and so forth. And um, as people start to downsize, a lot of times the family members may not have interest in those. So what is your recommendation to them? Oh, that is uh, a great question. We often start exactly in that spot. Um, We've got people that are ready to downsize. They've got older children um, who sort of don't really seem interested in what the family has, the family history items. So we have individuals that have a lot of memories um, in, in all sorts of items, papers, photos, um, uniforms, dresses, whatever you've got. Right. And, um, what ends up happening is they don't really know what to do with it because it doesn't seem like anybody wants it. Right. So a lot of times what I tell people is really, you, you need to go through it with your family. Um, now that sometimes can be a difficult thing to arrange, I, I understand, but it's important that the family weighs in on, uh, on those items um, so that they understand they can logically decide with you what they truly want and don't want. Um, it, it's, it's important to do that because it kind of releases you from the concern of making that decision on behalf of somebody else, a decision they might regret later on. Um, you've done what you can, you know. 
That's a great point. And one of the things we sometimes talk about is throw it into a party, have a get together with the family, use Thanksgiving or a birthday gathering, something was an opportunity where the family is getting together and add Mm -hmm. this as one of the entertainment elements where you pull out and reminisce perhaps with the things that you're considering going through. Absolutely. And that's ideal um, because they are already there. Family is sort of the focus of those gatherings. So bringing those things out doesn't seem awkward and and just random. Um, And it really gets people engaged again in the history. Um, And once we attach those meanings to those items, they become instantly much more important to us than to to say, hey, do you remember that blue vase that we had that grandma had? Be like, nah, I don't really always remember that. Mm -hmm. Say, look, here it is. And everybody goes, oh, you know, Uh, it's a different story at that point. Absolutely. It really is. And um, so how do you recommend going through specifically, let's start different categories. Let's talk about, I know your historical, you know, um, training office obviously lends itself to a lot about documents and photographs. Let's talk about how individuals that are going through this journey can, can, you know, work through the elements of now they've decided what they're giving to family and what items don't have any interest. What happens next? Well, and, and that's a really great question. And the, and the interest is really, uh, there's another layer in there first, which is there are some things that have historic importance that you probably want to hang on to. Uh, it seems pretty obvious, but it's good to remember that you, you want to hang on to, um, marriage certificates, birth certificates, baptism certificates, um, uh, any sort of thing that, that marks a day and a time of somebody's life. So those are always good things to hang on to. Um, a lot of the paper that's out there um, involves letters, individuals' letters and things like that. Do you need to keep them all? You know, it depends on, on this person's relationship to you and how important mm-hmm. it is. Um, so there's a historic value in, those, um, in some of those items. But there are other items that we have that maybe aren't so historic. Um, and oftentimes, uh, a lot of our photos fall into those categories. Um, do you need the blurry dog picture? Uh, no, why would you need a picture of you know, some blurry dog out in some field? You have no idea. So if it has, if you can actually identify the historic importance or the relationship to your family in those items, then hang on to those items. Those may be the ones you wanna keep. If you don't, if you have a lovely picture of a bunch of people in front of an old house and you have no idea who's in it, where the house is, anything about it, um, my challenge to you would be, why would you keep that? And there are things you can do with it other than throw them away. But, you know, that's kind of how I, I tend to work with my clients. If it doesn't mean anything to you specifically or to your family member, right. that meaning is probably passed. Terry, we were talking something um, earlier when you and I were conversing, we talked about a similar mindset that we have about the good, better, best category, right? I think it's great for our listeners to kind of mentally train themselves to create three buckets per se, right? The good Mm -hmm. bucket, the, the good, better, and then the best. And then once they've sorted it through that, and then we've also got the stuff category, which is just really trash, right? So I would add another caveat to that. How would they approach those different buckets? Well, um, in the case of, of using them to sort for your items, um, good items would be things that would be kind of um, somewhat emotionally attaching, kind of neat, kind of nifty, 
um, don't really have a big pool for you. Um, you you only want to have those things around. You just want to keep those things around if your storage um, uh, and uh, space allows for that. Um, better items would be um, things that um, have a much more direct connection to people you know, mm -hmm. close family members, individuals that um, have impacted your life specifically. And of course, best would really be those things that, that tug on your heart. And thing about those is that you can't always decide for other family members what tugs at their heart. I've had so many people come to me and say, oh, I was going to throw out this really ugly fish plate um, because nobody likes it. But then my son was out saying, my gosh, I remember when I was a kid. And that's a, that is the talisman for them, right. for, um, their family history. So if that's why we want to use this in conjunction with other family members so that we're not taking away those things that probably mean the most to them uh, in family history. It is. And I've also had clients that have done scrapbook parties where they've taken, you know, the, the middle segment of where they think that the, when the family's together for a holiday activity or at another time, they've used that opportunity. They've gotten some craft paper and some albums. They give the grandchildren albums and let them create their own takeaways um, for, you know, for, for creating their own legacy, right? So that is an opportunity of connecting, telling the stories, reliving the past and kind of working through those elements and then passing it on to the next generation. Absolutely. Engaging is critical. Yes. Uh, you know, bringing everybody into the process is going to is going to be a big relief for the people who are older adults who are holding on to these items. Yes. So that they're being used, they're being appreciated, and everybody can agree at the end of this what things really are not that important and they can kind of move off to another life somewhere. Absolutely. So now that we've got the elements and, and let's talk about, do you, do you get into digitization and recommending to clients to digitize images and, and kind of creating a, I love, love, love the display photo albums where you can put an SD card and, and, you know, live in your new home, which might be a much smaller space with revolving images from the past and you can update and change those cards. Absolutely. And I, I think a really important part of this, you're, you're, what you're talking about using are those um, heart pictures, those things that mean so much to you. Yes. Those, those few. Um, and when I have people who want to digitize their collection, um, I always ask them to make sure they've already gone through and sorted them. And people say, oh, I don't, there's so many, I don't even know where to start. I would say start with the oldest ones first. You know, cameras were not that prevalent. So it's, it makes more sense to hang on to the older photos first, have them digitized, enjoy them again. Um, and then as you get into the, oh my gosh, 70s, 80s, and 90s, when we were actually doing double and triple prints, <laughs> we were taking, you know, seven, eight pictures of the same scene. Yes just in case we didn't get it. Um, so feel free, be bold and feel free to go ahead and those later pictures and, and really call them for just those nuggets that, that mean something to you because the, even, the cost of having it digitized is not significant. However, um, it, it's not really worth your time or effort because what you're doing is you're just taking one big mound of physical paper and creating a digital mound that you're going to have to deal with at some point. So instead of shifting technology with it and, and hiding that mound through digitizing, go ahead and actually 
call them first, move them out of your way, um, and then really hang on to those nuggets to do as you suggested. And, and you know, um, the revolving photo frames are great. They're great gifts. Um, and actually, a lot of my clients these days have actually turned in uh, a lot of their digitizing into gifts for family members. Yes. It's something that everybody loves. You give them a flash drive. We all enjoy it. Um, and we could use it um, in, in whatever form we like. And I also love you can also email those digital, you know, catalogs now and create a quick lookbook flip book right? Yep. Uh, yep. And you can also send them to Costco and so many other online resources and they'll create a very inexpensive, beautiful um, memory book that you could also Absolutely. present as gifts and re and re, you know, relive those memories and share them and pass them on to family members. You know, it really is an opportunity to go through those items. And the biggest takeaway I would like for our listeners is to have the permission to get rid of you know, trash, my favorite word, purge. We're giving you permission to purge, purge, purge. Get rid of it. If it doesn't suit you, if it doesn't have an emotional attachment, if you don't love the images, if it doesn't, you know, resonate with you, then just get rid of it. You know, you have, you don't have to hold on to it any longer and, uh, and, and, you know, create the new uh, catalog of things that are meaningful they have the memories that you want to preserve and keep in place. Absolutely, and that's huge. Um, oftentimes, as a historian, I, I do go into people's homes and do what we call history therapy, and that's exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> Sitting down and telling them, you know, let it go, right? That frozen song. But, um, you know, it's okay because you are not the last person on this planet to be capturing that particular history. Right. Uh, you know, it, you need, it needs to mean something to you in order to keep it. Absolutely. Very important. That's right. Yep. So um, talk to us a little bit about the uh, historical photographs or something interesting that I love that you do. And that is if there's a very special historical photo that, that they have in their collection that has perhaps faded or lost its luster over time, what can be done with those? That's a great question. I, those are my favorite projects. Um, you talk about heart projects. Um, it, when you have a photo um, that's been damaged, um, and the damage has to be, um, it can be significant, but it has to have some sort of image still there. So right. it faded beyond, there's unfortunately a limit to that. But generally speaking, I've had people come to me, they've had um, people missing noses, and um, creases across their faces and so forth. Well, there's, you know, oftentimes there's not a lot you can do um, physically to the physical item. Mm -hmm. um, but what you can do digitally, and this is just really wonderful, is be able to scan it, high resolution scan, go in and physically remove all of the blemishes on the photo, all of the scratches and creases and so forth. And you can actually even replace body parts you know you can put somebody's i put somebody's nose on um you can re recreate um the face or or you know whatever it is that you've got in the picture and you can actually restore them digitally restore them that way um that's often a really good option one if there's if it is um just a small photo or something that that uh, really is is um not not doesn't justify a, a conservationist work but if it's a portrait or something that you know a conservator might be the best way to go um, <clears throat> but generally speaking um, it's it's just a handy way to to give back that history and restore it and again make it useful 
uh, and give it another life. And what if there is an item that has historical significance outside yeah. of just the family memento? How should that be dealt with in relation to museums or, you know, other historical opportunities that might be out there to, for preserving those important parts of history? Well, having spent dozens of years in the museum field, that's a um, that's a. a a really familiar question. Uh, honestly, museums have a lot of stuff. Um, now, there is a lot of stuff that people have in their homes that are very unique that may not appear in a museum. Um, it's important for a couple things to remember. One is that you don't do what we used to call a stop and drop. Um, you don't go by the museum and leave the box outside and, and hope that it, like an orphan child, and hope it finds another life somewhere. You know? um, <clears throat> people used to do that with all their leftovers, you know, and it made them feel good, but it made museums, it, it made it hard for the museum uh, because they have to be very particular about what they take in. My first suggestion is if you think there's something of historic value, and let me, let me um, identify what some criteria that might be. Um, things that surround a particular important event, um, say uh, World War II, World War I, um, any more the, the Holocaust, any more of these more um, recent events as well would be a good thing to go on to. Something that notes the date and time of, of events or some place that, something that came from somebody who lived in that time. Mm -hmm. Criteria. Then contact a museum, start locally. I always tell people start locally. Start with the city um, or the state where the, originated. If it's from World War II, where's that person from? Talk to them because they've got a little bit more of a need than say your larger museums. Can you donate to the Smithsonian? Can you donate to the National Archives? Absolutely. Will they accept it? Pretty rarely. Um, they've been collecting a long time. They've got resources. They may have those items already. But I'm not saying not to ask. It's always important. So rather than dropping by um, these things, understand what you have, contact, like I said, the locals first, state historic societies, and then go on to like maybe the World War II Memorial or the World War I um, Museum or the Army Museum or Navy. It, go specific and ask about if they have an interest. Um, oftentimes they'll ask for a photo and you can give them the photo. Now the important thing to remember is that you're not donating to the museum. Um, I mean you're donating, you're not actually going to be loaning. You're not giving it temporarily. So when you do give to museum, more often than not, they will take it as a gift permanent and you lose the uh, ownership of it. So if you're going to do that and you still feel strongly about it, then digitize that. Take a picture of it, get it scanned so that you have a copy um, still in your collection, but then it can live on in the museums. So absolutely give it a try. And I will put my appraiser hat on for a second and share with our audience that sometimes if you do have items that have significant um, historical value, there might be a monetary value with that item. And if you have that item appraised, and if you speak to your CPA, there might be an opportunity if you gift that for you to have a tax write-off as well, or deduction for, you know, the item that you might have gifted or donated to a museum. So that is also an important consideration to take uh, when gifting items and, and how that could work out in your planning, right, your financial planning. And another component is actually yesterday, a friend of mine, um, they do a lot of uh, celebrity and, and, you know, very noteworthy autographs and historical component um, items that they take to auction twice a year. And, you know, 
they sold letters from Napoleon and they sold uh, very interesting collections 48 hours ago. And I would encourage you again, if there are things that may not have that important significant value in the sense of, again, museums might already have their vaults full with what they're looking for, then potentially you might look at having to sell those items. If it is, reach out and we can guide you as to who to connect with in getting items appraised as well as, um, you know, potentially presenting them in an auction to, to have them shared with the next generation that's interested in collecting these pieces. So you certainly, people have opportunities. They do have options um, mm -hmm. in their quest of really going through all of this stuff. Um, yes. yes, it really is. So the, another bucket uh, is everyone, I wish I could turn my uh, camera, but to show you, my wall is a big bookshelf and it's got, you know, historical books on there, you know, regular books and other things. Can you guide our listeners to how they can tackle the book collection and book series that they might have? Yeah. Sure. And uh, books, I, again, is another big uh, collection item that we all seem to have. Um, there are experts out there who can um, help sell um, and help you identify the value, certainly appraisers, um, and then also uh, individuals whose entire um, uh, job is knowing what the value is as far as um, and how to sell it, how to actually move those items for you. If it's not in a particular auction, um, then it would be actually part of a, a, a general estate sale. But Really, the important thing to understand about books is um, old is not necessarily valuable. And that's often the time I'm on a lot of things <laughs> and laughing because I, I, it's true, isn't it? I mean, it's like it's very, very old, but it's not always valuable. Um, so, of course, first editions um, are, are always something to hang on to because um, when you have a first edition, again, no guarantees it's a value, but it's something that people are going to, as appraisers are going to be looking for, and also museum collections are going to be looking for. Um, so if it's fourth, fifth, sixth generation book, it's kind of falling apart, chances are uh, there's not going to be a huge market for, for uh, anything to do with that. And in which case, then I suggest you, you contact the local library because libraries still are accepting donations. Also, um, you've got local bookstores that oftentimes like to have donations to resell, uh, and that's another line of uh, revenue for them. So it's always good to check around first. Don't throw them away unless they're absolutely falling apart. And I will say, if you're going to hang on to them, um, the best way to do that, unless if the spine is kind of wiggly, you lay it horizontal, and all you need to do is dust it periodically and make sure that it doesn't have any sort of um, bug chews on it. But right. um, they're, they're low maintenance items, so they're great ones to hang on to. They can be, but if you do, like you said, if they do need to kind of go through it, they have so many options. Let's keep them out of the landfills if we can and repurpose them as many ways as possible uh, because from libraries to museums to auction houses to other individuals, they would love to go through them. There are so many individuals that are just avid readers and they would love to get their hands on those books and you can always put them on a Facebook you know, community group or your neighborhood listserv um, if they're a collection again of good better best right so the same same way they they addressed their photos i recommend that they go through the book collections and kind of separate them into a good better best and then that way you can make the decision of how to tackle them and which resource would be most useful to you and again it's a lot of information is available online open the jacket look at the publisher google the name title of the book google the you know and along with 
the title of the book, the plus sign, and then as well as details about the publisher and the date. And you will probably come up and hit the button, not just on Google, but hit the shopping button and see what comes up that might be comparable if you're curious about it, what a potential value of something might be before you hire an appraiser. This is just a quick tip of doing your own due diligence or research on a particular item. Um, so this is really fascinating and this is so helpful um, in that, you know, so many individuals, I feel that the, this category of the papers, the photographs, the books just really is debilitating to them as to know where to begin and how to help them streamline and create what they need to do. I will go back to something that I always recommend to our guests is to start off with getting some sort of a hardy uh, filing cabinet or a filing case, right? Where I would like for you, whenever you start your downsizing journey to get a fabulous, um, you know, whether it's a small cabinet or, or carry case and create the files that have those important documents in there. Have mm -hmm. your banking details in there, have your passport in there, have birth certificates in there. Create a file for each of the children as you come through papers, you know, drop those documents for each child within that. Or you may want to create a box for each child or grandchild or that family member um, in order to be able to uh, separate them in an organized fashion. And then once you've done with going through the cabinets, then you can go back, sit down and go through the box that was perhaps your sons or, or daughters or so forth. Um, and, and again, this is a, a great time, a great opportunity. Tackle this once and it will be off your shoulder for a long time. Absolutely. And oftentimes I tell people, you know, they always say my kids don't want my stuff. And I said, what they don't want is boxes of uncurated. When we talk about uh, collections, we always talk about curating collections. Right. You go into a museum and they don't have lots of boxes of things that go, hey, and I think something's interesting over in that box. Why don't you go rifle through it? Um, no, we go in and it's organized. It's laid out. It's, it's, it has some relevance that we might connect to. And what you're talking about is a great idea. Organize that so that when, pe when you hand it to somebody, they can immediately see the connection. They can, they can understand the relevance to themselves. And then they can make those decisions in a much better uh, fashion than just sort of, no, I just don't want those 45 boxes that you have. Uh, <laughs> I, I'll take a small container that's got my things. That's great. Yes, absolutely. that's fine. Here's a smaller box for you. Go through it. And then if I, you know, discard or if I purge the rest of it, it's not a problem. There are no hurt feelings. Absolutely. Uh, you know, I, I, I hate the coulda, woulda, shoulda, right? So it oh. goes by all um, possible ways document here's a date where I'm going through this please join me if you would like you know and and just give fair notice to family members those that might be available to join you because in reality it's not going to work for everyone's schedule but at least you've given them that you know, opportunity to do so and you can move forward with your plans and your downsizing journey Absolutely. And the fact that we have Zoom and some of these other technologies, people are having family meetings anyway. So if you're going to be meeting with them on a regular basis, why not turn it into something fun where you can do a show and tell and you can go through some of these items. Um, the family will appreciate it. And then down the road, as you say, there's not going to be a woulda, shoulda, coulda. Uh, people aren't going to go, Mom, why did you throw that away? I didn't know that box had that thing in it. Right. And you get rid of that. And as I tell people when they talk to me about this, the pressures that they have for having these family history items, I, I always ask them, why do you still have them? Why have you not shared them yet? 
Right. To get it out there. That's a great, great, great point. And it's just, it just takes that burden right off their shoulders and we're giving them that perch card for them to do what they need to do. And yep. that is absolutely awesome. And there's one little final segment area that every home has, whether it's ended its way into the media room or whether it's stuffed in a box somewhere or it's in the basement. Um, and that is those VHS tapes, you know, the CDs and all of the other, you know, V8, whatever sorts of, of you know, digital, archaic digital formats they have their stuff in. What would you say to that? Oh, I'd say God bless you for hanging on to it. <laughs> but yeah, it's, and it's another one of those things where you open the box and, and don't you, you look inside and you go, oh my gosh, it's all these VHS tapes, real to real family films, the little three inch diameter, um, eight millimeter, 16 millimeter uh, film and audio files, all this stuff. And what you do when you look at it, you close it again, right? Because you just go, I don't know what to do. Actually, there is, it's very easy these days. Um, you can actually um, take it to videographers who um, actually also do digitizing. So they, they have the equipment and that's what's important. You have to be able to play the item uh, in order to then digitize it. And um, so videographers have a lot of that equipment already in their retinue and they can actually go ahead and do it. Now, there's a couple out there that I recommend directly because they have, they can handle anything that you come up with. Um, seven inch audio tapes and five inch audio tapes and, and the little, do you remember the little mini cassette videos? Yes. The VHS with the little guys. All of that stuff can be digitized. I've even had clients that have digitized um, their old telephone recording tapes because um, they had grandma's voice on there. And they, oh, I love it. That. So it, that's all doable. Um, and uh, my, is that you do go with somebody who has been um, in the videography and audio field for at least the last 20 years because they're going to have the equipment and know can you take it to Costco or, or some other uh, less expensive yes the, the concern is is that will they be able to deal with it if it breaks while it's transcribing um, and that's important so that's why I always recommend going through a professional who can splice the tape properly um, they don't panic when something breaks while they're, they're transferring it, uh, and they can they can actually do that a really good work for you. On average, it costs about twenty five dollars to have a VHS tape um, transferred, so it's not inexpensive. Um, so again, call them first. You know, um, you, you know, do you need that family trip to I don't know where that that you it was not very good anyway. Um, and uh, there are some other um, machines out there that you can review these items ahead of time. Um, but audio files, not so much. The uh, audio reel tapes are a little hard to listen to ahead of time. But again, yes, you can be taken and they can be dealt with. Do it and uh, get that off your shoulders. And what a great gift it makes to take those old, I mean, I have some family videos. I mean, just talking about it brings tears to my eyes because it's just from such a happy period and it's just you know, we all have these reminiscent, you know, moments in our childhood that we have encapsulated in our mind, right? And Absolutely. if there's a, a memory or a video or a image, what a wonderful way of preserving those and, and getting them updated into a new digital format, sharing it with your loved one. And um, it, it's awesome. So there's, it, this is, so downsizing a lot of times individuals, you know, get 
overwhelmed with the burden of what is ahead. And I always like to also talk about all of the happiness that comes through it, where we're going to find things that we have forgotten in a time where, you know, life is so fast these days and everything yes. is moving so quickly. And, you know, we, we it's, it's a time and era that is gone. And there's something beautiful in taking the moments and opportunity to go through those. And there might be some boxes in there that bring up some sad memories. Sad memories are not necessarily always bad memories, but they're a portion of who we are today. And we can take those, you know, reminders and figure out what to do with them for the next generation, for the next, you know, transition of our life and just deal with it and either purge it keep it or transfer it right so it's Absolutely. as easy as that and it's an awesome opportunity and it's exciting and it's and it's important perspective um our history gives us perspective as you said it's good bad otherwise history but it does give us perspective on today and and it helps us understand who we are and that's critical it really is and it gives us an opportunity for planning forward right i think Sometimes when we sit back and we reflect on, I always talk about, you know, having that vision and that journey of where we're headed, we kind of have to look at the past, but we have to focus really much further ahead on what our future wants to look like. Creating that image, creating that visual, is there something from your past that you want to go back towards? you know, and recreate? Did you, uh, did you grow up on the coast and you want to go back living towards the coast? Did you sail as a child and you want to go back and become a sailor like I did? Or um, <laughs> is it something that, you know, you want to be closer to the mountains or were you with, did you horseback ride or whatever it is, it's a fun opportunity to go back, relive those moments and really help you plan what you would like your future to look like because you've got the opportunity to create it and make it into whatever you would like for it to be. But first we have to create that mental vision to have that clarity, what, where we're headed in order for us to create the roadmap of how to get there. Absolutely. And I've had, I've had clients who found old, old paintings and decided that they forgot that they really enjoyed painting uh, and they went back to it. So you just never know what your history is gonna talk to you about, but it's always a good conversation, that's for sure. Uh, it really is. It really is. And um, I did want to go back to something that we had talked about the other day, and that is about the different types of paper. One was the archival quality. One is the asset paper. Can you educate us about the different mediums and, you know, what we need to pay attention to? Sure. And um, this is a question I get a lot about acid freeze. Acid freeze is a big um, term that people use today. Um, they'll ask me, is this acid free? Should I be using that? Acid free literally just refers to what's made, what the it's paper is made of. Um, back before uh, middle of the 1850s, before that time, um, we would actually have paper that was made predominantly out of uh, rag material. Um, now, it's, and since that time, it's paper pulp. So it's wood pulp. And wood pulp has something called lignin in it. And what happens in lignin is that it naturally degrades. And that's where the acid comes in. What's the effect of acid? That's where when you have newspaper clippings and, and um, they turn brown and very brittle, that's acidification. That's actually what has happened to them. They've actually, um, the nice long uh, filaments in the, in the paper material have actually shortened and they break. So the problem is, is that you can't hang on to those things. They're gonna degrade very, very quickly. 
acid-free is just something that you can do to put your items in. If you have documents and you want to look for acid-free file folders, that means that there's not going to be anything in that file folder that's going to damage those items. Do you need to put everything in an acid-free file folder? Again, we get back to the good, better, and best. It's good to get them away, get newspapers away from your other papers. That's a good thing you can do right now, this afternoon. Go home, do, take care of that, because that, those newspapers actually get a very much damage any of your other papers. Divide, divide them up. The better thing is that you can actually get some nice, clean, uh, regular file folders and put those items in there. Um, will they become acidic it's over time? Absolutely they will. But if you're looking for a short-term organizational option, that's a great way to go. The best option is to get acid-free file folders. You can get them, um, there's a couple of, of organizations um, that museums use um, that where, and archivists uh, use where they can get those materials. Namely, um, there's Hollinger Metal Edge, there's Gaylord, there's University Products. All of those places, are, they sell to the general public. Now, the thing that I want to make people understand, though, is that, is that when it's a plastic item and it's those clear plastic sleeves, and do you want to put your documents in there? Absolutely, but acid-free has nothing to do with plastic. There's no wood pulp in, in plastic. So it's sort of a play on getting people to, to think that their stuff is, is safer than it is. When it becomes to plastic sleeves, when it comes down to plastic sleeves, putting your items in those protective sleeves, you want to look for something that is what they call archival quality. All right, that means that, that plastic is not going to degrade and damage your item. The plastics that are very safe, mylar, there's polyethylene and polypropylene. And there's a big science tech words, but really what you want to look for is archival quality, something that's not going to ruin your documents because putting them in nice clear plastic sleeves that's going to damage them down the road pretty quickly is really not a good solution either. So that's kind of the, the, the question about acid-free and also uh, archival quality. That is really, really helpful, helpful information. And I also wanted to see, so for example, if we have a box of good quality items, good, better, best, let's call it best. If we have a box of the best photos, mm -hmm. should they be putting them one by one in a single layer or can they stack the photos and put them together? This is a question I get asked a lot. So what is your response to that? Uh, actually, photos um, are, are pretty durable items. It depends on the type and how old they are. But generally speaking, you can store photos on edge um, as long as they're right up against each other. So that, you know, there's not one that's bending over or, or wilting into the, into the box. Oftentimes, for sorting organization purposes, I tell them, go to Michael's, get some of those inexpensive photo boxes, um, and put those photos in there. They're not long-term storage options but they certainly are good for a, a year or so when you're actually organizing and then giving them to somebody, uh, give them in a box, you know, don't, don't just give them a, 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 a wad of them in a, in a baggie or something to get one of those nice boxes, put them in there and, and donate them that or give them to them that way. But again, yeah, storing them um, on edge um, is, is actually uh, fine um, in, in most uh, cases. Um, the thing that you would have to be worried about would be if there are um, plate glass negatives, you want to store those on, on end, but with some padding around them. And um, anything that might seem a little wobbly, let's say um, daguerreotypes, those, those old pictures in, in the, uh, the booklets, uh, right. for, you know, the little cases, uh, leave those close and store them horizontally because it puts too much stress on the hinges of those. But generally speaking, average picture, 
go get some uh, of those inexpensive photo boxes and um, actually store them um, on edge up against each other. Um, not so that they're totally squished, but that they're all supporting each other and they can stand up on end with ease. So you just mentioned something that brought to mind a problem as an appraiser I see frequently where individuals have downsized or they've, they've moved from one property to the next and then they outsource and they send their items to a storage facility. And they were not properly packed and sorted and here to much to their painful surprise when they make that move, whether it's three months or six months later or an, two years later, the items have been in storage. There's some important elements to take into consideration. And I just want to bring to mind for our listeners to make sure that the unit that you are renting is climate controlled. Absolutely. They are not in the far end extremities, uh, extremes of the building where, you know, there's going to be temperature changes. Um, we had a client that we went in there and I, I was in tears for them where, you know, the unit was at the end and because of the shift and change in one corner and a little bit of water had gotten in there, there was mold absolutely and yeah. everything and they did not know. And the only thing that could happen is to have one big dumpster show up and everything to be kind of discarded. So it's yeah. important to take into consideration if you're looking to potentially put your items in storage or you're packing your things up, whether they're short-term or long-term within your own home or within another environment, that they're in a temperature controlled uh, you know, condition and that you have, uh, you know, you're mindful of how those items have airflow and, you know, that they're not completely tightly packed where, you know, other things can get into them and manipulate their condition. Absolutely. And, you know, plastic bins are great. Plastic tubs are great for storage because they will keep the water out. But just be mindful, that's not safe plastic and they can damage if you're going to put them in there for an extended period of time. But as you say, you know, you've got to put them away somewhere. Make sure that they are in watertight containers. Um, because those, those storage units oftentimes have uh, unexpected leaks and, and damage can occur and it's hard to undo. It is, it is. And, and therefore preparing yourself and getting these thing, items that are incredibly important to you uh, digitized and reproduced and, and documented is also not only going to allow you to enjoy them with others and to kind of declutter um, you know, your surroundings and preparation for your downsizing journey, but in case there is something tragic that does happen where they don't survive, you also have a backup of your, you know, favorite items in, in a different uh, digital format, which is always really wonderful to have for a lot of different purposes. Is Absolutely. there anything you think you feel that our listeners should be aware of in this process of ephemera and books and paper and, and images and so forth? Um, I think the only thing I, I always want to tell people is to be bold, be strong, understand that this is your decision. Um, you are in control of this process and uh, nobody else is going to be there to, to try to, um, you know, uh, control it. So when you get family involved, uh, take the lead and um, make sure that everybody uh, that can be involved is involved while you do it and then just get out there and get it done because it's, it's, it's waiting. <laughs> 
It is. I put it on your calendar, make a timeline, get it done. And if they don't adhere to it, I'm sorry, they didn't adhere to it. You have a journey that you've set yourself on. Make your journey happen, move it forward, and let's get you to the journey and your final destination and your downsizing dreams. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. And again, um, we will have information for Terry and for time sorters in our um, show notes, as well as um, details for them to be able to contact you. Again, if you could let them know your site, if they have questions for you, that would be great. Sure. You can find me at timesorters.com. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Terry. It's been a pleasure. pleasure. Thank you to our listeners for joining Downsizing Your Home and Life Radio. We look forward to you joining us in our next episode. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Downsizing Your Home and Life Radio Show. It would mean the world to me if you clicked to subscribe to our show so that you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. Please share our link with friends who may also be considering the downsizing journey and leave us a rating and review so that we know how well we are doing. For more resources, visit thedownsizingcoach.com. Wishing you great success in planning your steps to living your best life. I look forward to greeting you for our next show.